Welcome to the Bible Truth Podcast with Ron and Tim Reynolds, pastors and Bible teachers. Pastor Ron and Pastor Tim combined for more than 70 years of teaching and preaching God's Word. Listen now as they share the eternal truths of the Bible. Hello, friends. Welcome to Bible Truth for Living with Pastor Tim Reynolds. We're so glad you're listening today. This is the third and final message in our series titled Strange Gods. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 12 and verse 43. Jesus says, When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest, and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Then goeth he, and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. If you ever get the opportunity, I would recommend reading the book Return of the Gods by author Jonathan Kahn. Um, I can't say that I agree with all of Jonathan Kahn's uh, theology, but uh, much of what he has to say is right. And he's done a lot of study on this topic, much of what I have brought uh, in the last three messages, uh, I got information from his book. He goes much more in depth in some of the gods in particular, especially that uh, are even in American culture today. And I don't have time to do that in these messages, but you could you could read that for yourself, and I think you would get something out of that book. But where we left off from the last message was the strange gods, uh, the de- their days seemed to be over. The Galilean, the Lord Jesus Christ, came and began casting out evil spirits, unclean spirits, the Bible calls them. And then the gospel began to permeate out from Jerusalem and Judea, begins to go into the Gentile nations. And I believe that was led by the Apostle Paul and then other missionaries throughout the years. And as the gospel began to permeate the world, the groves of the strange gods began to be neglected. Uh, Their altars were left in disrepair, their temples crumbled, the strange gods became nothing more than myths and legends and folklore. Then along came the age of scientific discovery, the industrial revolution, and the information age. It seemed that man had outgrown the strange gods as he began to chart his own course in life. But uh, if you're familiar with Satan and his demons, you know they are relentless, They would bide their time and figure out how to re-enter the culture of humanity. They took on new identities and new names. They came as spirits of enlightenment and freedom. They began to inhabit our institutions, the halls of government, the boardrooms of business, the classrooms of schools and universities, the beats and lyrics of our music, and the scripts and scenes of our TVs and movie screens. The strange gods seem now to be everywhere. They have returned. And today, as we conclude this series, we're going to look at the arising of the strange gods, the altercation with the strange gods, and then finally, the abolishment of the strange gods. Let's look, first of all, at the arising of the strange gods. In verse 43, you have a sort of retreat by an unclean spirit. Jesus says in Matthew 12, 43, when the unclean spirit... Now, we could call that a fallen angel, we could call that a demon, we could call that a strange god, all the same, all right? 
the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, means that it possessed him, but now it's gone out. He, the unclean spirit, walketh through dry places, seeking rest, and findeth none. Now, uh, let's put this in the context of the strange gods. As the gospel penetrated the Gentile nations, it seemed the strange gods went into retreat. Uh, For centuries, they wandered in third world countries and nations that disallowed missionaries and prevented the gospel from taking root. And so they would they would enter into some of these uh, nations that were still open, these cultures that were open to uh, occult-type worship and paganism. Uh, that was even true in America uh, whenever the uh, the Native Americans were here, the, the, the American Indians. They, they followed a lot of paganism and, and uh, worshipped a lot of uh, strange gods, and that is true for a lot of other cultures around the world. And then we begin to see the return of the strange gods in verse 44. Then he saith, I will return into my house. Now, when he says my house, he's referring to the man from whence I came out. And when he is come, he findeth it, the man, empty, swept, and garnished. Now, the strange gods or demon spirits only return to a place when God is absent, when the gospel is no longer there, uh, no longer important. You know, I don't know if there's any single date we can pinpoint in world history or in American history, but I think the turning away from God, uh, which you could call apostasy, and that's turning away from truth, is a process. I do think there are some historical milestones that probably, uh, oh, it opened the world up to the strange gods returning to cultures in the world. One of those events, I believe, was the refounding of the nation of Israel. That occurred in 1948. When Israel became a nation again after nearly 2,000 years of non-existence, I believe Satan began to realize that God's prophetic time clock was winding down, that he had a short time. Now, we have a little bit of information about this in the book of Revelation chapter 12, and Uh, For time's sake, I don't have time to break all of this down. I will comment on some of it as I read it, and uh, you'll have to trust me uh, to know what these things mean. Uh, You know, you trust uh, your banker, you trust your doctor, so uh, please trust your preacher here when I uh, read this to you and and I share some thoughts as I read it. Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. John says, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. Now, the woman here represents the nation of Israel. Notice she has a crown of twelve stars. Israel has twelve tribes. So when you hear woman in this text, that's referring to Israel. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. Now, when you think of the great red dragon, uh, that is Satan. So you have the woman, Israel, you have the dragon, Satan. And his tail, the dragon's tail, drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. The stars of heaven there is referring to the angelic host that rebelled with Lucifer. One-third of them. We don't know how many that is. There are probably millions, uh, well, likely billions, maybe trillions of of uh, angels, but a third of them rebelled. And so when Satan uh, rebelled and uh, was cast from heaven, uh, he takes a third of the angels with him. Verse 4 again, And the dragon stood before the woman, 
So you have the devil, Satan, standing before Israel, which was ready to be delivered to devour her child as soon as it was born. As soon as God in Genesis 3.15 gives the promised seed, and then, of course, Genesis 12 with the Abrahamic covenant, Satan throughout history, and this, is, this runs throughout the Old Testament, Satan tried to prevent the birth of the promised seed or the Messiah. Satan is not all-knowing. He did not know who that would be. But that's what it means. He's waiting to, to kill. All right. Verse 5, And she, the woman, brought forth a man-child, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Now, who is the man-child? That is Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ was born. And if you remember Herod, King Herod, it's that time of year where we're thinking about the birth of Jesus. Uh, Herod killed babies, hoping to kill the one who was to be the king of the Jews. So he was born, and then the Bible says, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne referring to the ascension of Christ. Jesus lives 33 years, dies on the cross, three days later raises from the grave, 40 days later ascends up into heaven. So so far we have the woman Israel has a child, Jesus, the Messiah, who is caught up into heaven. Satan wanted to prevent that child from being born, couldn't prevent it. I'm going to move to verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels. So here you have a heavenly battle. Now, this has not occurred yet. You have Michael the archangel and the good angels that are fighting the dragon, Satan, and the wicked angels. The Bible says that the wicked angels prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now again, the the first casting out of heaven was when Lucifer and the angels rebelled against God. That was before creation. But they still had access, all right? In fact, in the book of Job, you find where Satan appears and talks to God regarding the life of Job. Right now, Satan still has access to the throne of God. He's not been cast out uh, for good. That hasn't happened yet. When will that happen? That will happen, I believe, halfway through the tribulation period, the the the, the three and a half year point. And again, I don't have time to get into that. Uh, just just trust me on that. All right. Now listen to verse verse ten, and this explains why Satan right now has access to the throne of God. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Right now, Satan is bringing accusation against believers. And the truth is, most of what he's accusing us of, he is correct. He is right. We have no standing before God on our own. This is why we need a good attorney standing in our place, all right? Uh, The Bible calls him our advocate, the Lord Jesus Christ. So when Satan brings up accusations, Jesus is there to say, yeah, you know what? Tim is a dirty, rotten scoundrel, but he's mine. I've saved him. I'm his representative. And God the Father says, uh, because of Tim's faith in Jesus, I'm going to accept him. Satan, uh, forget it. You're not going to bring up accusations against him uh, that are going to do you any good because he has a good attorney, a good representative. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. But the day's coming. Satan's cast out. He won't have that opportunity. Now listen now to verse 12. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. 
For the devil has come down unto you. Now, this is during the tribulation period. Satan will 100% have all of his time and energy poured into this earth, especially when he enters into the Antichrist. It says, the devil has come down unto you having great wrath because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. Well, when you read the rest of uh, chapter 12, you you read about Israel and Satan trying to uh, wipe out Israel, and that happens uh, where all the nations of the world gather against Israel at Armageddon. Looks like they will be destroyed, and Jesus Christ returns to earth in the second coming. But what I want you to understand here is when we talk about the return of the strange gods, I believe that when Israel was refounded in 1948, it sort of let Satan know, hey, your time is really short. You only have a short time. He doesn't know when Jesus is returning, uh, so he's doing all he can, and uh, he's doing everything he can right now because his time is short. And I think when Israel became a nation once again, he realized that. Here's something else that I think helped, uh, oh, to spur the uh, or spur on the return of the strange gods, and that is rejection of biblical truth. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter eleven. Uh, The Bible says, Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse, a blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day, and a curse if you will not obey the commandments of the Lord uh, your God. But turn aside out of the way, which I command you this day, to go after other gods which you have not known. Now, speaking uh, in regards to American culture, and we're most of us are Americans uh, listening to this, so this is this is how it's been for our nation. Our nation, as a whole, has rejected biblical truth. I believe some of that began really in recent history, even uh, in the 1960s. In 1962, uh, school-sponsored prayer was no longer allowed in our government schools. Uh, 1963. Schools could not lead Bible reading any longer. 1980, uh, the law was decided that the Ten Commandments could not be posted in school. It's interesting how Satan attacks through the educational system, and that is because of the minds of children. If you can get the minds of children, boy, you can really do a lot of damage to the culture. And Psalm 11 and verse 3 says, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? So the foundations of America have been under attack in recent years, really in the last 60 years, more than at any other time, and I believe it has led to the arising of the strange gods. And now we're at the point where the strange gods are raging. In verse 45 of Matthew chapter 12, the Bible says, Then goeth he, and taketh with himself, this, this one, un, one unclean spirit, seven other spirits more wicked than himself. Apparently there's, an hi- there's a hierarchy of uh, wicked angels. Some are more wicked than others. And it says, And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also with this wicked generation. So the strange gods have been in some sort of retreat for the last 2,000 years, and now their time is short, and they desire to bring as much confusion and destruction to humanity as possible. Now, there are two things mentioned there that I want to bring out in verse 45, because you have a spiritual principle for an individual. He says, this last state of that man is worse than the first. So we're talking about an individual here. Any person who tries to clean himself or herself up without the help of the Holy Spirit, without true salvation experience, uh, is only fooling themselves. In fact, you're going to end up in a worse condition than you did at the first. Self-reform, 
uh, cleaning up your own act will do us no good. It takes the Holy Spirit of God to help us with that true salvation. That is a spiritual principle for individuals. But we also have a prophetic warning for a culture because Jesus says, even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. So you have self-reform and you have social reform. When you try to experience social reform, absent of God, without prayer, without scripture, but you want social justice, you want social reform, the the condition of a culture, a generation, is worse than when it was at the beginning. This all goes back to the worship of the strange gods. If you remember last week, I shared with you three uh, gods in particular, the strange gods that are mentioned in the Old Testament. One was Baal. Baal represents spiritual confusion. Once a nation, a generation is spiritually confused, they begin to worship Ashtaroth which is representative of sexual confusion. And so spiritual confusion produces sexual confusion, gender confusion. And then finally, they begin to worship the third strange god, Moloch, and they would take their babies and actually sacrifice their children. Now you have sacred life confusion. Do you see how the process starts? In other words, there's nothing new under the sun. What we see in the Old Testament is starting back now, only it is beginning to be worse because we have knowledge of things that we've turned our back on. Since the 1960s, America and the world has experienced spiritual apostasy, a sexual revolution, increasing drug culture. We've legalized abortion, the murder of babies in the womb, the LGBTQ agenda, the feminization of men, the masculinization of women, so roles are being reversed, human trafficking, child exploitation, gender confusion, and we have transgender and now transhumanism is on the horizon. That is the combining of humanity and machines. You say, well, that's just science fiction. Check it out for yourself. It's going on right now. And uh, when you have artificial intelligence mixed into this, I mean, it's just no telling how long, if the Lord tarries, how far these things will go. The strange gods, I'm telling you, are raging in the world today because they know their time is short. Now, Let's talk about the altercation with the strange gods. I hate to be a doom and gloom preacher, but I have to tell you what the Bible points toward, and that is the world will continue to grow spiritually dark as we near the return of Christ. The strange gods are working. So the question is, what do we as Christians do? Do we stick our head in the sand? Do we just stay silent? Do we live in fear? What do we do? I think we should do two things. Number one, this is for Christians. We should be watchmen. We need to be watchmen. On the walls of ancient cities would stand a watchman. The watchman's charge was to see the enemy, and when he saw the enemy coming, sound the alarm. If he was silent, everyone would uh, perish, and their blood would be on his hands. Now listen to Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse 1. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of thy people, and say unto them, When I bring the sword upon a land, if the people of the land take a man of their coast and set him for their watchman, if when he seeth the sword come upon the land, he blow the trumpet and warn the people, then whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet and taketh not warning, if the sword come and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and took not warning, his blood shall be upon him. But he that taketh warning... 
shall deliver his soul. Now here's the picture. The watchman sees the enemy. The watchman warns, hey, the enemy's coming. If a person does not listen to the warning and they choose to ignore the warning and they perish, they die, well, that's their fault. That's not the watchman's fault. The watchman did what he was supposed to do. But the person who listens to the warning, they'll be spared. They'll be saved. That's what I'm doing today. I'm trying to be a watchman on the wall for the souls of people to tell you God's judgment is coming. The world is becoming more wicked all the time. You need to get saved. You need to to stay close to God. That's what a watchman does. But what if the watchman is silent? Listen to verse 6. But if the watchman see the sword come and blow not the trumpet and the people be not warned, If the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. In other words, a watchman that does not sound the warning will be held responsible for those that perish. I believe that we as Christians and especially preachers are called to be watchmen on the wall. I hate to be judgmental, but I'm just going to tell you how it is in in, uh, many American churches today. Preachers are not watchmen. They're entertainers. They're there to uh, inspire people with good thoughts and a good self-image. They're motivational speakers. But the Bible tells us we don't need motivational speakers. We need watchmen on the wall warning that sin is is, going to be judged, that the wrath of God is coming, and you need to pay attention. You need to get saved. And that's what a watchman does. Now, if you heed that, you're watching. You get saved, you stay close to God. If you ignore it and you hear the watchman, he's warned you, that's on you. But if the watchman is weak, the watchman is asleep, the watchman is afraid of offending somebody, well, then the blood of those who perish will be upon his hand. So, as we see, we're going to have to deal with these strange gods in our world today. We need to be watchmen. Number two, I believe we need to be warriors. We need to be warriors. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So when I talk about being warriors, we're not talking about warriors against people or ideologies or uh, uh, political parties. That's not what I'm talking about. Here, Here are the enemies of the warrior. Principalities against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That is the strange gods, the demons, the unclean spirits. We're to be warriors. He says, put on the whole armor of God. That implies permanence. You don't put it on and then take it off when you don't feel like it. You put it on and you keep it on. It's a day-by-day lifestyle. Paul goes on and gives us some details. He says, wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. You see, beloved, we need to be watchmen on the wall, and we need to be warriors against the wiles of the devil. And then lastly, number three, 
the abolishment of the strange gods. One day, the devil and his strange gods, his unclean spirits, his fallen angels, his demons, they will be abolished for eternity. Some are held in chains right now. The Bible says in Second Peter 2 and verse 4, for if God spared not the angels that sinned, that would be the demons, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. Some of those angels were so wicked that God would not even let them uh, move about as he does some today. He allows them to. Some are already in chains of darkness. They're reserved for judgment, but the judgment of all of them is coming, even Satan himself. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10 says, and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Thank God one day the strange gods, the devil and his demons will be abolished for all of eternity. I like what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The day is coming when every person, every spirit will be humbled and must proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. Until then, we have a twofold mission. We as Christians need to witness for Jesus. Tell your family about Jesus. Uh, Tell your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, hey, Jesus loves you. He wants to save you. You need to witness. And I think we need to do that with urgency. And then number two, we need to watch for Jesus. That means when we get up in the morning, pray, Lord, may this be the day you return. And Lord, I'm going to go about my day. I'm going to work. I'm going to raise my family. I'm going to pay my bills. And I'm going to go through my daily routine. I'm going to witness. But Lord, I'm going to keep one eye looking for you. The Bible says that our redemption draweth nigh. We're closer now than we've ever been before. Witness for Jesus and watch for Jesus. Thank you so much for listening today. I sure do appreciate your faithfulness to the Bible Truth Ministry. If you want to be a partner with us and you appreciate the Word of God being preached and taught, listen to the announcer at the end of the program. He'll tell you how you can do that. Thank you so much again for tuning in today to the radio program or the podcast. We look forward to being with you at our next appointed time. Until then, this is Pastor Tim Reynolds saying, may God bless you is my prayer. You've been listening to the Bible Truth Podcast with your host pastors, Tim and Ron Reynolds. They can be contacted on the Mount Vernon Baptist Temple Facebook page, or you may send Pastor Tim an email to T-I-M-R-E-Y-1 at hotmail.com. Or if you prefer, mail correspondence to Bible Truth Podcast, 817 Woodland Drive, Mount Vernon, Illinois, 62864. Again, that's Bible Truth Podcast, 817 Woodland Drive, Mount Vernon, Illinois 62864. Thank you for listening.